Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowley. Together, lovely, 
Well, folks, our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, the 17th chapter. Jesus is speaking to a group of his disciples, and he says, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Uh, I made a mistake when I passed this on to, to um, Donna. The sermon's title is not Before It's Too Late. That was last week. It's too late for that now. It's Do What You Are Asked is the sermon this week. Well, it's been said that in the glory days of IBM, that great computer company that dominated the industry from 1950 until about 1990, it was said that it was the best place in the world to work. The company had a no layoff policy, even subcontracting out the production of the original IBM personal computer to ensure that in this risky venture they would not suddenly find themselves having even the possibility of layoffs. They were an amazing outfit at the time. I met a team responsible for a half billion dollars in sales once. The entire team, actually the entire division, consisted of a marketing and sales guy, a purchasing guy, a system design engineer, and an administrative assistant. Four people, no other IBM employees were associated with this $500 million business that developed custom systems for people like Burger King and some of the airlines. There's the story of the young man from Iowa who accepted a job from IBM and he started work in New York in the coldest days of January. Now a week after he started, the young man was still going to classes to learn what it meant to work in IBM. Notice it's not for IBM, but it was in IBM. And that Friday, the young man's father died at home. He went, the, the young man went to his new boss and told him. And a couple hours later, the boss had driven him to the airport and he was on a flight to Iowa. Flights were delayed that day due to a snowstorm, and he eventually arrived at his home airport after 11 p.m. that night. The plane was now six hours late. 
But there in a dark blue IBM suit was the Iowa sales manager who drove him home that night through the snow. The sales manager had waited for him all those hours after driving three hours from his home base because that's the way IBM people looked out for each other. The young man's boss in New York, he wasn't particularly important. He didn't have any supervisory power over that sales manager in Iowa. He just knew enough to know how to find that sales manager and tip him off to what was going on. The sales manager did the rest because that's what IBM people did for each other. The company didn't take care of the people. The people were the company. And of course, this is also the way that the church and its members are supposed to look out for one another. We're always to remember that the church doesn't take care of anybody. We members of the church take care of each other, going above and beyond to remind each other that we are a special organization. Nothing like the ordinary businesses that we've worked for where we're discardable parts of a faceless organization. We are the church. Every person here. So who runs this show? Who's the boss? Everywhere I've worked, that was an important question. Who's my boss and who's his or her boss? Who are the important managers that I need to stay on the good side of for I knew that certain people had as much or more say in my raises and promotions than the guy I directly reported to? But that's not the way the church operates. I'm not the boss. I don't run this show. Neither does the administrative council. None of you report to me or the administrative council. Instead, we all, every person here, from the youngest baptized child to the person who's been here the longest, we all report directly to the boss, Jesus Christ. Jesus, working through his Holy Spirit, is telling you daily, even hourly, what to do in your life. What he needs done, what he wants you to do. All I do is explain the scriptures and the culture of our church to people. I help you to understand what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. But what you do on a daily or weekly basis is between you and Jesus, guided by your two-way prayer, praying to God and listening to the Holy Spirit in response. Jesus had spent a lot of time explaining what he expected of the disciples, particularly that they were to focus upon doing good for people rather than worrying about money. He spoke to them about watching their own actions, that they would not cause others, particularly the young people or the new Christians, to stumble. And he made a particular statement which got the attention of the twelve disciples. He told them, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I'm sorry, I repent, you must forgive them. This was something the twelve understood was very, very difficult. Yet Jesus had emphasized this several times over the months of his ministry. We must forgive and forgive and forgive each other repeatedly. There really isn't a limit to the amount of times that we must forgive someone who keeps apologizing, who keeps trying to improve, 
even if they continue to offend us. And the 12 understood that this was very difficult. It was not something that ordinary people did, but it was something that Jesus required of his disciples. The disciples also understood that forgiving is actually an act which is deeply tied to our faith in God. Forgiveness is an act of the humble who understands several things. First, when we forgive, we're acknowledging that we can't truly read the other person's mind. We don't know everything that's been percolating in our friend's mind, the struggles they've been having. We don't understand the harsh words that were said to them over the previous weeks. We don't understand what struggles they've had. We don't realize that the particular turn of phrase that we innocently used was also used by their harsh fifth grade teacher and by their ex-husband. When we forgive, we accept our limits to knowing and understanding the other. Secondly, when we forgive, we also accept that God doesn't know the whole that God does know the whole truth. We accept God knows everything, the whole story behind the words or actions that upset us. And we accept that God will justly handle the situation while we cannot ever give appropriate justice. Have you thought about that? We cannot ever give appropriate justice. Even the best earthly judges will always make mistakes when they give out the justice, for their punishment will either be too severe or not severe enough, or will harm without correcting. They will be bound by the law. Only God has the wisdom to give the perfect justice to people. And when we forgive, we recognize our limits of wisdom, and we let God handle the situation and do the justice. Third, when we forgive, and we forgive repeatedly, we're obeying Jesus. But I'll tell you this, both of these last two points, that God will handle it, and Jesus has the authority to tell us to forgive, these need a strong faith on our part in both Jesus and God. And so, as the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied to them, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Notice that Jesus did one of those things here which must have really annoyed the disciples. He didn't directly answer the question, did he? He didn't wave his hands over them and say, be given more faith. Jesus doesn't tell them how to have more faith. He simply agrees with them that having great faith, even a little bit of intense faith, will give great power. We've all heard this little gem many times, and by now we probably all know that a mustard seed is about the size of a sesame seed or even smaller we may not realize that part of this mustard seed metaphor is that the mustard seed is very intensely flavored and it's strong. When we make homemade mustard, we grind up those seeds and it's so much stronger than the store-bought. Folks, it's amazing the great power that God has to grant prayers. Prayers that ask for things that are good for us and for others. But prayers which are said without the faith, the trust 
that God cares for us and others, those prayers are going to usually bounce back like an incorrectly addressed email. For our prayers to be answered, we need faith that God actually cares for us. And so how do we develop this faith? Well, folks, it takes time. After all, how do you develop faith in another person? You see if they'll do what they said they'd do. Can they be counted on to show up at a meeting? Will they return the tools that you loan them? Will they do what they've been asked to do, especially if they promise to do something? Like that mustard seed, we can have a small but intense faith that God will do something in particular. One day at another church, prayer requests were made for a particular man who was in the hospital to survive his pneumonia. His son-in-law came forward in his place for us to lay hands on him, and the whole church gathered and laid hands. The Spirit told me to have faith in this particular prayer that day, so I prayed for his complete recovery that day with a strong, sure understanding that the Spirit was going to heal this man from his pneumonia. That afternoon, as we visited him at the hospital, his vital signs suddenly improved and he was able to be moved from ICU the next day. Now, he had some more ups and downs, but he recovered and went home. He lived almost two more years, and when he died, he ultimately died from a heart attack. The pneumonia had been long gone for many months. But then, in the course of this, this little talk, Jesus actually does tell us more about how to gain faith. He just hides it a little bit. It doesn't look like it at first, but this is what the rest of the passage is about. Jesus said, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after his sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down to eat? Or won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? And after that, you can eat and drink. Well, is he going to thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And then Jesus says, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Now let me explain this one. Imagine that you're a small farmer. You don't have a bunch of servants. You don't have a bunch of hands on the farm. You've only got one. In fact, the Greek word that Jesus uses that's translated as servant is doulon, which is actually a lot closer to our modern meaning of slave than our meaning of servant. So your slave has been outside plowing or watching the sheep, and when he comes in, are you going to say to him, sit down and eat? Are you more likely in that situation to say, now fix me supper, then you can eat? That's the natural response of most people, isn't it? May not be what we should do today, but that's the natural response. And furthermore, it's not our natural tendency to thank people for doing what they were told to do. What's their job? After all, do we thank the payroll clerk for getting our payroll check correct every time? Do we thank the Social Security Administration when our deposit shows up in our bank account the day it's supposed to? Do we thank the electricians at the Department of Highways when the traffic lights work just fine? Do we thank the bus driver for picking up our children from school every day this week? Maybe we should thank these people for doing their jobs, but we don't naturally do this, do we? And what Jesus is saying is that as servants of the Lord, 
There are things we should be doing, things that we've been told to do. Our faith, he says, is developed simply by doing what we've been asked to do, for that requires trusting God in Christ, and that's the core of what faith is. What should we be doing? You know, if you want to increase your faith, be obedient. Trust God in Christ. You want to increase your trust in God's ability to handle your finances, increase your, your financial giving. You want to increase your knowledge of Scripture. Well, read Scripture to yourself and others, and it will increase. You're told to do that. Tell people about what Jesus has done for you. We are told to do that, and we will have joy. Teach our children and our grandchildren repeatedly about Jesus and God. Take every opportunity you have. We're told to do that. We're told to study the Bible alone and with others. And we're told to lead prayers. In your household, you should be the one who's leading the prayers. Right? Whenever you're out in a group, you should be the one who raises the hand and says, I'll pray. We should sing louder. I know that people have told you that you can't sing. That's okay. God says, sing a joyful, make a joyful noise. Sing louder. And you might want to ask him, help me sing better. But sing louder. Have faith in him to teach you. Do what you know to do. Get rid of your fears trusting God in Christ to take care of you. One day a young man came up to Jesus and Jesus asked him what he heard the commandments to be and the man said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself and Jesus agreed, you got it right buddy. That's what it is. This is the summary of all the commandments and Jesus agreed to it. So consider, servant of God, what it means to have God in all our heart and love Him with all our soul and with all our strength and with all our mind, what comes first, second, and third in our lives? It's a privilege to serve God. God doesn't take things away from us, but it gives us great joy when we do what He asks. Yes, it is tiring, right, Brooks? These Sunday afternoons, they're tiring. Yes, we have to drop doing things which were poor substitutes for God's service, like watching television, painting the houses often, mowing the lawn, watching WVU football, <laughs> puttering around the house. But instead, we make friends and we rejoice with them when they come to know Jesus. We sing songs of praise and we're lifted up by those words. We take care of our fellow members we develop a purpose in our lives and that lasts eternally. We're never bored. Folks, we're to be the servants, even the slaves of God, who do what we've been asked to do. Serving God should not be a chore for us, but it's what we've simply been asked to do. You know, IBM was a great company during its glory days, and people had tremendous loyalty because the company was composed of people who understood that they were IBM. But eventually, in 1993, the world had changed enough that IBM was forced to lay off people 
and 60,000 people had to go. For many people who were still at the company, the ones who stayed, it was like a divorce. It was like a family breaking up or losing a limb. That's the difference, though, between working for a man-made operation and even working for a wonderful man-made operation and working for the entire God who created the universe and who still runs that entire operation. God does not have layoffs. We have complete job security for eternity. The Apostle Paul understood this and he wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done because of his own, but because of his own purpose and grace. I'd like to share this little bit of wisdom that comes from Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations as Jerusalem fell to the Babylonian army and the Jews were sent into exile in Babylon. To me, this is one of the greatest passages about faith in God. From Lamentations 3, 19 through 26, Jeremiah said, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Do what the Lord is asking us. Listen for His Spirit to speak to you. And then do what you're asked to do.
Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.